0: I'd like to welcome you to this special episode as I will be speaking with and talking about a new album by Janie Barnett and Blue Room. I won't be speaking with Blue Room, but I will be speaking with Janie Barnett who I had a long telephone conversation with just a week or so ago and Janie has had an interesting life, and just uh, by introduction, I want to read something from Janie's website, and it's uh, no secret, it's uh, on her website, so you can find this and other information about her on that website. And let me start off by saying this. I quote Janie Barnett. By trial and error, we find ourselves... We retrieve ourselves from our own fires and folly. We poke and prod and with luck, we find our authentic selves and stop looking over our shoulders. The renegade is part of my DNA in a good way, but it also played a role in running from myself. This record, these songs, reflect a period where I stopped running. So the stories reflect the process and the sound reflects the result. I'm Ari Martello, and welcome to Mostly Folk. So
1: this is what it feels like To file. This is what it feels like An all-good sense So this is what you do tell me now This is what I knew And your hand tapped my hand I'm falling out of my mind It's a good, crazy thing It's as crazy as they come it's a trip around
0: Janie Barnett and Blue Room from the album You See This River, and that was a song called Good Crazy Thing. Now, as I said at the beginning, I had a... Lengthy telephone conversation with Janie quite recently, and of course, I won't be uh, rebroadcasting the entire conversation, but uh, I did begin, as I always begin, by trying to uh, find out a little history and biographical information about Janie, and here's what she had to say.
2: Wow, how far back do you want me to start? All the way. <laughs> So all the all way the to way. the
3: beginning. <laughs> okay.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, I was, I was raised in Northern Virginia, which sort of has one foot in kind of the, the roots music, bluegrass festival, folk world. Um, and the other foot is metropolitan, you know, DC and politics and higher culture and all that. So I, I kind of, um, I had a lot of, different um, influences thrown at me as I was as I was coming up but um, and I had you know uh, northern roots from my mother and southern roots from my father so musically there was a a, quite a mixture um, when I was coming up Um, and when I left home in my in my teens I went to New England and kind of got rooted in the folk you know the New England folk world there and Learned a lot about playing solo and um, uh, exploring a lot of different roots music up there. But um, two things happened. I I felt like I kind of hadn't quite discovered my own voice as a writer by being sort of rooted in the 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 pure folk world up there. Um, I met a lot of great people, Patty Larkin, Bill Morrissey, a lot of people who went on to, you know, do the, the the new folk. Uh, world but um mm-hmm. i felt i felt that i was uh i had a little more discovery uh to to uh to do so i made my way to new york um, and i uh, i moved there with a project uh songwriting project that was kind of uh also not quite me but it helped me you know learn some skills and what happened with a lot of us that moved from the new england area to new york is if you had the right skills, you could then get involved in the uh session world as a freelancer. And um, while I was still feeling like I was looking for who I was as a writer, particularly um, that work started to really pick up. And uh so I spent quite a long, quite a number of years, maybe a good 15 years, really a very active kind of freelance musician, session musician. Um, and that gave me sort of an opportunity to raise my daughter while I was, um, figuring out kind of what voice I wanted to use as an artist and, um, become part of a, the New York community as far as mm-hmm. my musicianship. Um,
3: and, 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 and what we, when you say you were assessing musician, what were you backing mm-hmm. up on?
2: Um, well, the calls would come from any direction. There were film, you know, film soundtracks, TV, um, commercials, a lot of commercials. Um, sometimes backup vocals on other people's, you know, CDs. Um, mm-hmm. and it would really range but- from just a DIY, a DIY, project, DIY project to all the way up to say, you know, Celine Dion. So it mm-hmm. really ran the gamut. You just, you know, you were available for any kind of interesting challenge. And that also led to live freelance work like, um, and when you're in New York, you know shows like Saturday Night Live and The Today Show and all that. Those kinds of opportunities do come up because you're right there and you can say yes at a moment's notice. And um, and it so, was voc- vocal work. Uh, mostly hired as a vocalist, yeah, as okay. a vocalist. Occasionally as a guitar player, um, okay. and sometimes as a vocalist, you're hired to do the vocal arrangements as well. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: It's sad, you beginner
2: As an artist, sometimes people sort of feel like, "Well, you know you do that for the for the money, but um I was working with really great musicians. all those musicians are still my friends and colleagues that I work with on original projects and you know the the growth is you know pretty tremendous in terms of your your ability to kind of come up with precise uh work as a musician uh, when you're doing that kind of work but um it also afforded me the time that I felt I needed to really. Decide which direction I wanted to go as an artist. Um, uh, again, while I was raising my daughter, um, and mm. we.
3: Uh, and you were doing this. By yourself.
2: Doing what? Raising, raising my daughter.
3: Your, raising your daughter.
2: No, no. I had uh, her dad was in the, was was definitely right there with us. Yeah, we were all uh, together as a family for 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 most of her growing up time. We were together sure. as a family, and we were both freelance musicians, so uh the challenges were there in that regard too. How to kind of create a good family life while uh um while trying to, you know, be a working mm-hmm. well, working parent, let's face it. It's not just right, musicians right. who come up with that, you know, that come up against that those challenges.
3: And this um, is something that you you did exclusively? You didn't have anything else to fall back on other than what you were doing musically?
2: Uh no. Uh I think the last uh When I first moved to New York, I cleaned houses, which was something I did as a kid in Virginia when I, you know, for my little weekend job. So I'm, you know, for, for, uh, for most of my life, I've been able to, you know, really be a working musician and nothing else. And that, but that includes teaching as well. There was Mm -hmm. always a little teaching on the side. And then, uh, as, you know, different periods warranted, I increased the teaching, decreased the teaching. Um, and I would say, that, um, and I always say, I've said this a lot in the interviews I've been doing this year, that the teaching, particularly when I started teaching at Berkeley, um, which was about 15 years ago, has really had a tremendous impact on my, on my sensibilities as an artist, um, uh, because the, the exchange between the artists there at Berkeley who are, you know, the younger emerging artists and myself is just, it's always a very, you know, not to sound too cliche, but it's a, profound relationship and so it really informed uh my writing and my work ethic and my um just feeling kind of st- maintaining my excitement for the for the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so that was the only non performance uh uh work that I've I've ever had to do really. Been mm-hmm. I've been really lucky in that way.
3: Okay. Uh, you, well, you mentioned Berkeley. You might as well talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh explain about Berkeley, what it is and um mm-hmm. are you still involved so, there by the way?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um okay. I usually do all three semesters, but um, you know, fall, spring and summer. Um I am there two days a week, uh two long teaching days a week. And I work with uh emerging singer-songwriters and just entering musicians who don't know how to notate their music and don't know how to work with a band and um I work with I do a workshop for the performing uh singer-songwriters who you know who play instruments and how to you know how to best arrange your your music while you're uh you know you're playing and singing on stage and that usually parlays into a songwriting workshop as well um, where we all write together and we, we try to finish songs quickly. We do our little speed writing. And um, right. and most of the yeah. private, student, private students I work with are also emerging singer-songwriters. So they, mm-hmm. they tend to give me all the, the students that are headed toward the kind of life that I've had as well.
1: Some days it makes sense
2: thing that I've noticed with the musicians that have gone that have graduated um, they really have a very uh, pragmatic as well as a you know a, a visionary idea of what their lives are going to be like. you know they have things to fall back on that involve music, whether it's teaching or music therapy or um, you know production for other artists you know they really have gotten the message that they should build a lot of different skills so they can wear different hats in the business and and have a life in music, you know, whether it's Mm. teaching little kids or whatever it is. And and that too is kind of inspiring because they're not, you know, they're not just looking for somebody to like pick them up, manage them and, you know, make them a star.
1: snow no use, the cold has got a hold of me This never should have been the way we did tonight I said I'd try to shake it off But in between the white and gray, the opiate brain So go on. say what's on your mind So empty out those markets But I to time. stars, still I'm winning what you got for me. Another, just another, another round.
0: album You See This River that was Jamie Barnett and Blue Room with the song Another Round Before It's Time. Now if you want to, I may not be identifying all of the songs during this conversation and if you want to get the complete playlist of the program, simply go to Mostly Folk, Dot org, where the episode information will be there. There'll be photos of Janie and um, all the good things like that, as well as the archive of this program because I'm not sure how you're listening to it. You could be listening on various sources and various radio stations. So that's the way to get the information. Just go to MostlyFolk.org. There's links to all of the sources, as well as a playlist of this program. Let's get back to my conversation with Janie and talk about this album.
3: You have a new album, and Mm -hmm. it is your premier album, I guess. You you don't have any other albums besides this, do you?
2: No, I do, I do. I put out a couple other albums, but it's been over a long period of time, and I I was proud of those albums, but I will say that... um, because i felt that um i had taken a bunch of detours you know in my creative process i didn't really throw myself fully behind promoting those those records and in addition i want, i was i was expressing myself but i also was in the, raising a child and knowing that i was not going to be going on the road and not going to be doing what one needed to do even forget even touring for a long term just the commitment you need to make to uh throw yourself behind a project like this um and resources and all of the, you know most of that energy had to go to my family life and uh so really, there was a period as she got older and uh that I was able to really look at the writing I was doing and really kind of find my voice again and in some ways return to some very early roots of the sounds that I heard in my head. And because of that I'm now it feels like a premiere album because it feels like the first album that I could really just completely uh commit to mm-hmm. talking about even, let alone doing the shows behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So it has yeah. that feeling to it, like finally I'm making the statement that um I I want to make. Yeah.
3: Right. Which I'm speaking excited. with yeah. Janie Barnett and Janie has uh, a website and that would be Janie Barnett. With two ts dot com, and uh, there you can find many things about Janie. Uh, lots of links to uh, various places, including what we were talking about—the Berkeley uh, School—and and this album, this new album, you see, this river um, mm-hmm. is Janie Barnett and Blue Room. Now, what is Blue Room? Is that right. the group? So,
2: I I decided a bunch of years ago that I wanted to include sort of an umbrella name for all the people that I collaborate with because um, I felt so strongly that at this point in my career it was that the collaboration was so key to what I do and the mm. the relationships with um musicians that I have so much respect for so most of whom i have known for for a long, long time, but some newcomers, too, who you, you know, sometimes you meet people in your life, whether it's professionally or not, who you feel an instant connection with and you feel like you, you understand each other and uh, that it's a lifelong friendship even though it's just begun. And so whoever those people are, those collaborators are, they're, they're under that umbrella name of Blue Room. And um, uh, we usually go out as the same unit when we're playing, but occasionally it's other people and there's, there are always people that I trust um, so and it's also our hope that we'll collaborate in other other projects together. So that's mm-hmm. that's hence the name and the name Blue Room. um I painted my office at Berkeley Blue and all my students who <laughs> come in are just like enchanted with the blueness. It turns out that blue is um a warm. We always think of blue as like one of those cool colors they talk right, about, right. In, you know, design. <laughs> but it turns out that blue is a, considered a warm color for a room and an environment and that it's a creative stimulus. So yeah, really. I thought, well, there you go. <laughs> I never knew that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most of us did. Yeah.
3: <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, let's talk about this album. And, um, you know, maybe you could uh, talk about some of the songs on the mm-hmm. album and what they mean to you and how they came about. Uh, of course, the the one song that pops out, uh, especially uh, these days, is uh, "Buy That Thing. Mhm, mhm, and uh why don't you talk about that one?
2: yeah, so the song came about the you know, the lyric content came about because i saw I saw a video piece on Facebook, and it turns out it was actually done by h b o sports we don't we haven't figured out why or how h b o sports did it um and it was a little video they they sound a thirteen year old um kid who was a budding actor and so they they gave him a a little lapel camera and he went into a variety of uh, venues he went to a liquor store and he tried to buy alcohol and they said no you're too young I what's not clear is whether he was carrying a fake ID or not but then he went to a 7-eleven I think and he tried to buy um, cigarettes no you're too young to buy cigarettes he what tried to buy a of ticket and I think and this was in my home state of Virginia as well. And I think her her response was, Honey, you know I can't buy I can't sell you a lot of ticket. It was an adorable moment and he shrugged out. And um I think then he went into an adult bookstore and he tried to buy, you know, something, a movie and um mm-hmm. no. So we got all those no's and then he went to one of our Virginia uh gun shows and within I
4: don't
2: know, like five 10 minutes, he he left with a rifle. He left with a rifle. 13-year-old kid, yeah. Oh, my God. And um, it was just stunning to me. Um, and, you know, in Virginia, we're all really aware of this notion that there's, you know, they're private sales, so there's no, there are no background checks, really, mm-hmm. to speak of mm-hmm. in these gun shows. And, you know, as we... Uh, New York like to talk about a lot of those Virginia guns travel up Route 95 and end up on our streets, you know, with mm-hmm. no accountability. Nobody knows. And uh so that's how that song came about. I mean, yeah. I'm I try to be a little careful about my judgment about people who like to own guns. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, all types of people out there. But this notion that without background checks and, you know, uh the mental health issue and now they've pulled back on. You know that question as far as who can buy a gun. Um, I think there's just uh, something we we ought to be able to come up with a better way in terms of yeah. checking who gets to buy a gun. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. how that well, song came about. Uh,
3: I think New York has, um, you know, is a good model for other states, but <laughs> it, it's you know it, it's just a national thing. That's it's so crazy that
2: uh, it's it's gotten beyond. Uh, You would think that all this time and all these horrific events, we would have gotten more diligent about coming up with ideas for legislation and control and in fact it's gone the other way.
3: this river Uh, this is a song that you said was uh written during a challenging time in your life as a working yes
2: yeah and i uh i really uh, uh you know the most wonderful thing in life for me has been to have this have a child and she's now 25 and she's just my best friend uh but you know there were moments in terms of trying to be the best parent you can be and still hang on to yourself um and how am I going to navigate being alive in the world and being a, li- a parent? Mm. Um, and uh, I kind of just, I, I was searching for my way, just looking for my way. And uh, I think a lot of artists also embrace this, the, the, the metaphor of the river and, and water as, as something, you know, a fl- either a fluid situation or a journey. Um and uh, that's how that song came about. I'm just mm-hmm. looking for this notion of like, how do I keep moving forward, and hold on to myself, and who will see me? And also, this notion of how are you viewed? Are you are you viewed as having lost your way, or do people understand that you're doing the best you can? And are they they sitting on the banks pointing at you, and you know all the crazy thoughts that go in your head when you're when you're struggling at a point in your life, and as a parent you're struggling, and you're also you know, trying to make damn sure that you don't screw up somebody else's life at the same time. <laughs>
4: so that was heavy
2: on my mind, heavy on yeah. my mind.
1: This is a river i I'm flow
3: About some more songs on the album, um, mm-hmm. "Sweet Thursday."
2: Yeah, you mentioned "Sweet Thursday," which is a, yeah. one of my favorites on the record. Um, I uh, one of my favorite writers is Steinbeck, and um, when I was very young, um, somebody introduced me to—I mean, we all read; most of us do read some kind of Steinbeck when we're when we're coming up in school. But I read the the the, the two small novels of his, Sweet Thursday, Cannery Row, and then Sweet Thursday, which is the sequel to Cannery Row. And I just, I now read those two every year. Every summer, I read both books again, and I just laugh and I cry. And I I wanted to um, just capture something of what I felt about that storytelling and just sort of the sweet um embracing of the moment that that those characters in that book um were so good at um and that the smallest moment has the has the mo- can have the most profound resonance um uh in a story and um so it was that and I I've been trying for I think 20 years to write write this song. Um, And it turned out to be one of the shortest songs I've ever written too. It turned out (laughs) you needed to keep it simple to reflect that simplicity in the story. Um, And also I wanted to musically pay homage to um, a track that I love, um, Harvest Moon by Neil Young. Um, Okay. And I don't love everything that Mr. Young does, but I sure Mm. love that album uh, so Mm. much. Yeah. And that particular song is just so enchanting and, beloved. So I wanted to try and capture something of that that whimsy in both of those uh, both of those things in this song. Just trust
1: me Dave. Don't slip away till we have our say Cause it could go either way I'm gonna be where sweater from the back of your car on a sweet thursday we could sweep, we could sway in a man
3: been writing that song for 20 years um j- just out of curiosity the writing process for you mm-hmm. do you um do you tend to just jot things down and then come back to them later or uh do you go through a song entirely or is it a combination of those kinds right. of things right
2: um, i used to I used to jot things down and I used to be one of those people like, I remember Bill Morrissey had a little tiny little notebook in his pocket all the time and he would just jot down one liners and I watched him do that and I thought, oh, that's what I got to do. And I I did that, you know, scraps of paper, you know, piled in a box for many years.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: Now I work a little differently. I sort of, I have a seed of an idea and I walk around with that one idea or maybe it's two songs going at once and I work in my head, just moving through my day, riding the subway Uh, sitting in a cafe and I just kind of let it percolate and I sometimes I'll get a bunch of lines at once which is uh, something that I learned when my daughter was young that I had to be able to sort of memorize a bunch of lines together um, because I wasn't going to be able to indulge myself and sit you know with the paper and pencil so I had to Mm -hmm. write in my head so now I've continued that and I tend to um, get that seed of an idea that little kernel and keep going with it until I have you know the the main thrust of the song written. And then sometimes I'll put it like I'll have two verses in a chorus and that third verse or that bridge, I'm going to let, I'm going to wait because I want to make sure I know what the song is fully about. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'll, you know, like a lot of musicians, I'll play it over and over and over again, tweak, 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 play, 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 you know, listen back. Sometimes you'll have two hours of you playing one song and you go, Oh, I can't listen to it. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> just can't do it. But you think that whatever was good, you you can remember. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now you say you,
3: you well. I know you've worked with a number of uh, uh, artists who are well known, as you said. But what mm-hmm. were some of your influences growing up? Who influenced you the most?
2: Mm. It's an interesting thing, and I, I I I love to hear other artists' response to this because it's been a a pretty wide variety. You know, when I... My father was a music lover, and so he brought home a lot of different kinds of music. He would play Mozart in the house at, you know, top volume, Peter, Paul, and Mary, the Weavers, um, Mm -hmm. Billie Holiday, Aretha Franklin. All that music was in my house, so I had a lot of different influences in terms of that. And then, of course, when uh, James Taylor's first record came out, it was just mind-blowing for all of Mm -hmm. us, you know, that you Mm -hmm. could just write these intimate songs and people wanted to hear them, you know. Um, yeah. Then growing up, I, you know, out of sight of DC, I worked at the Folk Life Festival on the mall in Washington uh, when I was a teenager and John Hartford was a big uh, player in that time and he was the one who, one of the first musicians who I think um, went from the bluegrass world and became something else. I think originally they were calling it new grass. And now it's, it's our lives in Americana. That's what it is. Um, and so what his, what his, uh, you know, his lust for different sounds, you know, was a great influence on me. Um, but then I think some influences are kind of obvious, Joni Mitchell, um, uh, and Jackson Brown, those singer songwriters who were Mm -hmm. really doing, interesting things musically but also significant storytelling and then as i got older and i got more interested in rhythms uh some of the you know the other like little feet and all the different ways those rhythms work together um and bob marley um i was in a band that did a lot of reggae so the influence of pre influences are pretty vast and then you know people have done quite a bit of comparison with Ricky lee jones which was much later influenced but um, you know, I think she and I had some of the same influences as young younger people and I think that's what we're that's what people are hearing, that our yeah. influences have expressed themselves in our work. Yeah.
0: You're listening to Mostly Folk, mostlyfolk dot org. I'm speaking with Janie Barnett, and I asked her about the song How You Are.
2: Yeah. Um well How You Are is a song I wrote for my daughter. Um and her dad is playing on it also, so that's kind of a meaningful thing. It's a song sure. I don't play live too much because um, what for two he reasons. One, he plays; he's a guitar player. Yeah. Okay. And um, uh, it's a, it, it's a song that um, it means a lot to me in terms of the fact that I, I, not only is it very specific to her, but I think it's also as we were talking, you know, that you know having a child is such a profound. Uh, responsibility and um, just the notion that I think it resonates with other parents in a big way. This 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 idea that you have to come to understanding what your particular child is all about and what what are their unique. Um, traits. My father used to say that, you know, I just popped out, you know, I used to yell at them that they didn't make me do this and they didn't make me do that. Why didn't they send me to this or whatever? And (laughs) he was saying, like, you were, you knew who you were the minute you popped out, you know, and, uh, there was no controlling you, you know, and, uh, I think my daughter and I, you know, have a profound and a very unusually close relationship, but she's also her own person. And I think that was something that I was trying to write about that. um, Mm. We have to recognize that our children, um, they have their own voices, you know, and we have to stand back sometimes and just get out of their way and, and love them for who they are and how they feel about things. And sometimes my daughter feels intensely about things, you know, and did as as she was growing up and I was trying to capture that. But I love that about her, but I, it hurt I hurt for her sometimes.
4: Don't worry. It's going
1: to be fine. Cause the stars have a aligned. To so be kind to you, dear. And the guides have delivered. Apple time for you. Here have your feelings Like it could move along on this river of dreams It's a story I know, but it's true, there are dreams coming true
2: Um you know, I'm gonna say publicly for the first time, Artie, that this was a, a response song. I heard a song of Cliff Aberhart's called Um Uh That Kind of Love, which is a wonderful song of his. And um so I responded to that song by using the, the um the first line of that song which is, What kind of love did you mean? um so it was like a it's like a prequel song to Cliff's song um and uh it's really the idea of um that when you meet people whether it's romantic or not um friendships you know just profound relationships that you encounter and um you sort of go inside a bubble and that's this small world is the bubble uh that you go under when you meet somebody and you have something kind of intoxicating happen um Uh, it's happened many, many times in my life with a mentor of mine where everything in my life is about that mentor. Um, when I met my husband, my child, you know, that, that relationships become, you know, at least for a time, all encompassing. And then they settle down into a way you can kind of live your life while you're, while you have those strong relationships. Um, and that's what that song was about. I think a lot of, a number of the songs on the record are about, Relationships that have that are kind of ambiguous in nature, and I think it's something I've come to um, as you know, once I passed my 30s and 40s, that um, that we have many different kinds of relationships in our lives that cannot necessarily be clearly defined, um, and they're powerful. And uh, the world kind of wants to define our relationships in clear-cut ways. That's my cousin. That's my husband that's my you know my colleague and sometimes these relationships don't have you know clearly defined edges and i think it's it's a healthy thing to recognize that that's okay that so we don't have to fully define them that we have bonds with people that we can't always explain yeah Eight. About that, I actually, I yeah. have it
3: written down right here. Wrap me up. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I
2: I, be, I, I started it. Uh, I went on a songwriting retreat with Gretchen Peters, who's of course a wonderful, uh, world class songwriter who's based in Nashville, and she's always been a, 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 somebody I admire tremendously. So I I I took one of her songwriting retreats that Lydia Hutchinson uh, runs, and we we were in Italy, and uh, Gretchen took us to a um a little graveyard tiny little local town graveyard and she said you know I want you to look at all the you know gravestones and the and see if you can come up with some stories based on it. and of course all these places some of them had flowers some of them had little pictures attached to them um and so i started to create a story based on on one of the headstones and then we went to a little town and i saw an old old much older couple gray haired couple and i thought well what if this couple uh hadn't been together all of their lives what if they met when they were young and they uh lost each other and then they found each other you know at this much older age and um so i started to weave this story of you know how you can find uh find a love of some kind at a young age and then you you stand back and you live your lives for whatever reason um with other people um, and what if you just hold that little breath of love inside you for a lifetime and somehow it comes back around? And, um, so I wrote this song with this notion that you're maybe part of you is, is waiting for that to come back around. Um, and, uh, I don't really, you know, people, songwriters are always, and novelists, I'm sure, are always being asked, well, who's this song about? Who's that song about? Mm-hmm. Uh, this song is definitely not about one person, but it became a story that I felt was a true and authentic story for me to tell, even though I didn't have one person in mind. Yeah. You've been with me for a bit
1: of all time. You don't need out and hold
2: Are topical songs on there that i'm i i always have something to say about better times are coming which is okay. the uh stephen foster I, I i found it online i was looking at the McGarrigle sisters who of course are you know mm-hmm. icons for those of us in this genre um right. and they they did the stephen foster song better times are coming that he wrote you know during our our trouble and strife of the 19th century and um so, I took the first verse and chorus of that song i felt um if there isn't a more perfect time to be writing something about better times are coming this this is our time in our country where we're we've got another sort of what feels like upheaval, no matter which side of the the aisle you you reside on. it just feels like a tumultuous time in our country and um So, I took the first verse and chorus lyrically and i um and then I to some music that i felt compelled uh to write for it and and came up with some new verses um i it just felt that um it was a moment where i could offer a little you know understanding that we're all feeling kind of lost but you know let's hang in there you know let's hang in there and not and not just uh you know sit sit on the banks and 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 become complacent There are
1: voices of hope that are born on the air, and our land will be free from the clouds of despair, for the brave and the true to battle have gone in good times, good times. (laughs) To <laughs> you.
2: Another topical song on the record, um, "Face the Voodoo," is it has that theme as well because.
3: Um, yeah, I have to ask you: Have that uh, "Face the Voodoo"? The Voodoo. Yeah. I don't know how many songs have the, the word "voodoo." The word "voodoo,"
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wrestled with, uh, and and I think some people who are are sticklers for for vernacular would say that maybe "voodoo" wasn't the right word, but it feels that it feels right to me. There mm-hmm. was a, a show on last summer during the convention season called "Brain Dead." Um, which was a political satire. It was only on for the summer, and and the idea, and political satire and, and sci-fi at the same time about like a, a pod that came down from you know the 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 some other universe, and um, it released these. These bugs that crawled into the ears of all the senators. It was based in, in DC. So, and, uh, <laughs> and they would crawl in your ear, right? And, uh, and eat some of your brain. And then they'd show, like, Tony Shalhoub, the actor, he was the main, the main actor. And, like, all this glop from his brain would fall out. And then he would become, <laughs> the premise is that, <laughs> is that he, they became, uh, uber versions of themselves. Which is kind of what's been happening in real life anyway. it was oddly, it it was oddly realistic, except for the bug part. It felt pretty realistic, and um, I was just glued to it. My sister and I were were just like we could not, you know, we couldn't wait for the next episode. And you couldn't watch them all at once either. You couldn't do a, you know, a mad rush with all the. What's the name of it again? um, It's called brain dead. The whole Senate goes crazy and goes on and is on the verge of complete another meltdown. And finally, of course, they save themselves, which we're not sure that's ever going to happen. Right. No, I don't um, think so. I don't think so. But uh, this song came out of that. It came out of this idea that, um, you know, the world is falling apart. And what we can do is we can just decide, I'm thrown in the towel. I'm going to get drunk every night. That's it. I'm just going to party because nothing, I can't have an impact on anything. And uh, <laughs> so I'm sort of talking, really talking to myself in that song saying, come on, get up, you know, and face it. And let's not just crawl into a hole and, you know, drink ourselves to death because we can't really feel so helpless you know let's not feel helpless let's stay in the game let's stay in life last night's
1: fun still
2: which is something all those years my daughter was growing up, I wasn't doing a whole lot of shows. Um, I'm doing more shows and I'm just looking for that um, collaboration with other musicians on stage. But I'm finding that the songs are very personal to people. And as long as that's happening, I'm going to keep trying to do the live shows and um, connect with people that need Authentic music in their lives, and I think the storytelling is important to people right now. We still need good stories and good, very personal stories of, you know, how, what's really happening in our lives. Um, but, you know, personally, I have always felt that I'd love to have my music in, you know, in, in, set in a cinematic, um, context. So I've started to look for filmmakers to collaborate with where I could place the music, um, at this stage, it's not so much about making money because um, I've made my money and I have a way to live that um, it's not about making a killing. It's just about uh connecting with the right mm-hmm. audience um, where, and through, you know, concerts, uh people on independent radio like yourselves who've just been, wow, just amazing as far as this record. I've just been overwhelmed by the response mm-hmm. from independent uh, programmers. And, and again, films and collaborating with other with other artists in different ways. You know, the cover of the album is was done. That's a painting of a childhood friend of mine who's an artist, and we're mm-hmm. always sharing our work with each other. And those kinds of connections uh, with other people, I think, are, you know, what's most important to me uh, at this stage. Mm-hmm.
1: As life flows on in endless song Above her's lamentation I hear the the fire of him That hails a new creation No star
0: With the final track on her album, You See This River, that was Janie Barnett and Blue Room with How Can I Keep From Singing. Once again, if you want more information about Janie Barnett, you can go to her website, Janie Barnett with two Ts, dot com, and you'll find all sorts of information about her right there. And don't forget also that Mostly Folk is broadcast on many different stations, Radio Satellite 2, Blues and Roots Radio, Bluegrass Planet Radio, in addition to Mixcloud, iTunes, all of uh, the various ways that you can listen to this program. And I urge you to just go to MostlyFolk.org, and you'll not only find links to all of the programs there, uh, but you'll also find a link to the interview that I just had with Janie Barnett. And... Hope that you uh, do check that out because there's lots of information there as well as information from past years of Mostly Folk. Well, the conversation that I had with Janie was a lot longer. We had lots of fun. Uh, we didn't leave all of the uh, different comments that were in the interview in uh, this 90-minute segment for you, but I did enjoy talking with Janie and wish her all the success possible with this new album. And, of course, I want to thank you for listening and certainly hope that you join me next time, right back here on Mostly Folk.